passage. We're in our series called The Original Christmas Carols, and these are songs of praise that have been uttered around the time of the birth of Christ. And today we're going to be looking at Mary's, also known as the Magnificat, which comes from the Latin term, uh, which is basically the first line of, where it says, let my, my soul magnify the Lord. And it, it comes from that. So that's where we get this term Magnificat. Now, uh, we're talking about Mary. We're talking about, I, I mean, I can't imagine what Mary was going through. And we get an idea of that within the video. Just what her thought process was. And, and, and we, realize, we fail to realize often that these characters in Scripture were human. That these are people that were in real life situations and they're not always very easy situations to be involved in. Uh, we sometimes see them in pictures with halos and that they knew everything that was going on. And we fail to remember that these are people that were, they didn't know how to act at times and how to respond really well. And as I think about this, this event that Mary went through, I mean, I, I'm reminded of our small group this past week. And I don't know if you were in a small group and you went through this question. But in our small group, we were asked this question, what is the most amazing thing or the most awesome thing that has ever happened to you? What is, what is that? What is that that's happened? Or what is that thing that makes you stop and go, God, you are magnificent? I mean, think about that. What is the most awesome thing that you've ever, ever gone through in your life? Now, for many people in my small group, I, was, I, was, I had my own, my, own, uh, my own answer to it, but I was listening to the people around, and, and one answer kept predominating over every other answer, and it was the birth of my children. Um, when, when, they, when your child came into the world, and you see that child for the very first time looking at you, and there's this just overwhelming awe that how God could create this wonderful little life. And they're just, they're, they're moving and they're so helpless and completely dependent upon us. And, and people just, one right after the other said, it's just the most this awesome experience. I mean, it's been said that a baby changes everything. I mean, how many of you, when you, when you got married, you thought marriage is going to be one way? I remember when I got married, I thought, man, this is going to be great. Everything's going to be wonderful. And then the baby, which was a wonderful surprise, arrived. But suddenly everything changed in my life. I thought I knew what tired was before having children. Can anyone else testify about that? By the way, for those that aren't married, don't have any kids, um, I, I remember a 25-year-old came to me, and they're like, I am so tired. I'm like, you have no idea. I, I, had, uh, I was at a, uh, we were at, uh, staying with some friends uh, two summers ago in Ohio, and we rented out this house, some old friends of ours from Massachusetts, and we all had small children. Many of them, it was their first child, and uh, they gave us, we're the oldest couple there, and they gave us our own room, and we had Josiah, the baby that was there, and then uh, uh, two families were in one room, and they had both had babies, and when one baby would wake up, of course, it would wake up the other baby. So they hadn't slept most of the night, and we're sitting at the breakfast table, and the husband looks at me, and he goes, can we switch rooms? (laughs) I went, no. (laughs) I said, you've only been doing this for a year. I've been doing this for 13 years. I deserve some sleep right now. Okay? I mean, people understand uh, those kind of things. But it's amazing how much children change us, right? Children change us. And a matter of fact, it changes so much. I'm amazed at different cultures and how children change us. I was, I was talking to my, my friend, Hyder. We were talking about, um, uh, we were talk, I, I met someone that he knew. And I asked her, I said, do you know, do you know Hyder? And she goes, I don't know who Hyder is. And I, and I talked to Heider, and he goes, well, you have to understand our culture. Uh, he said, she wouldn't know me by my name. And I said, well, how does she know you? And I, forgive me if I get this wrong. You can correct me, Heider. But it's, it's uh, is it Abu, how do you say it? Father of who? Abu. Abu means father of. Abu Ali. So his son is Ali, and he's known as the father of Ali. 
So rather than call him by his first name, you were defined by your oldest son. Now, it's interesting that that's, that's, that tradition carries on. And you see that in many different cultures. You're defined by your child. It's, it's very interesting how that is. And you see this within this culture. I mean, Jesus would have been known as Jesus bar Joseph. Jesus, son of Joseph. Now, Jesus then is defined by his father. But oftentimes, again, it's the, we're defined by our children. And, and Mary, more than any other person on the face of the earth, is defined a lot by her son. And we are, we are defined by him. As we, we seek to understand what Mary was going through and how this baby truly did change every, everything. You know, in the Bible, there are some pretty radical birth stories. Miraculous, wondrous birth stories. You have Abraham and Sarah. Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob and Rachel, Samson's parents, and Samuel's mother, Hannah. All of them struggled with barrenness. And each story is a story of the miraculous. But when it comes to the birth story, there is no greater and more amazing birth story than the birth of Jesus. Because he is the one who was born of a virgin, virgin born. Matter of fact, Larry King, the great interviewer, once asked him the question, what is one question that you could ask anyone in history? And he, he, he said, I want to go back in time. And he goes, I want, to ask, I want to ask Jesus' question, were you really virgin born? So he, 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 he had actually presented that question uh, to Ravi Zacharias. He said, that's the question I want to ask Ravi. Was he really virgin born? Because if he was, that will define history for me. Very true. His birth is unlike any other birth. So today, I want us to look and, and see, not, we're not going to talk about the birth, but we're going to talk about this conception where the angel visits her and tells her that she is going to be the mother of Messiah. And how she responds to that in this wondrous song where her soul magnifies the Lord. And by looking at her, I would like us to look at ourselves and see all that God has for us through her response and what Christmas ultimately means to us. So before we go any further, let's pray for God's blessing on our message time. Father, speak to us. Help us to understand this story in a greater way that we might go forth as better disciples who are fully devoted followers of you. Glorify your name in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I want us to, to go back. Uh, Lloyd had read for us verses 46 through 56, but I'd like us to go back at verse 26 just for a moment. And I want to, for, for those who are unfamiliar with this story, I'd like us to revisit this uh, angel that had appeared to her and what had happened previously before we look at her response. But in verse 26, uh, we read this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. She was probably 14, 15 years old. We're not given exact time, but marrying age, she's probably a very young, uh, young teenager. Um, so, name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, 
the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now it's interesting. There is something about Mary. She's young, as I mentioned before, probably around 14, 15 years of age. She's from a poor family. She's uh, from a, not a great town. But she is a young woman who is full of faith. She's also not a fool. So when God tells her that she's going to be the mother of a child, she's like, how will this be? I know how children are conceived. How will this be since I am a virgin? But the angel Gabriel says to her that God chose her to be the vessel through which his son would enter into the world. The Holy Spirit would come upon her, causing her to be pregnant. It's a miraculous birth, and it's truly a remarkable thing. This child would be named Jesus, and he would be great. In fact, he would be God's own son. Now, when we're talking about God having a son, some people get tripped up by that, as if it was by means of uh, physical procreation. No, we have to understand what we mean by son. Yes, he is God's son in that he was born to Mary, but son in this instance is something much more. Jesus, as we can see from numerous other New Testament examples, existed in what we know as eternity past. Remember, he says that he saw Satan fall like lightning. He was there in, the, in eternity past. God, he, he is God, meaning that there is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The three exist as one God in three persons. But they are, div- they are one unified, or one God. Not three gods, one God. And the Son of God stepped into time by taking on flesh. So what happened is that God the Son assumed the flesh of men. As one of the earliest creeds of Christianity, the Athanasian Creed, explains it. And I want to show you a little bit of how this is understood, a little bit more of an explanation that I want to get into more of the practical implications for all of us. But this is how the Athanasian Creed puts it together. Can we call up that slide? It's from 500 A.D. We don't have that slide, huh? Okay, well, it's for, it says here, Furthermore, it is necessary to everlasting salvation that he also believed faithfully the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the, for the right faith is that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God and man. So listen carefully. God of the essence of the Father, begotten before the worlds, and man of the essence of his mother, born in the world, perfect God and perfect man, of a reasonable soul and human flesh subsisting, equal to the Father as touching his Godhead, and inferior to the Father as touching his manhood who although he is God and man, yet he is not two but one Christ. One, not by conversion of the Godhead into flesh, but by assumption of the manhood by God. One altogether, not by confusion of essence, but by unity of person. For as the reasonable soul and flesh is one man, so God and man is one in Christ. As another creed puts it, or the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, Christ, the Son of God, became man by taking to himself a true body, and a reasonable soul, being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost and the womb of the Virgin Mary and born of her yet without sin. So when we say son, he's referring to essence. That he is essence at his essence, God. So, and we need to understand that as we get in and we talk about him being God's son. Now, God was doing something remarkable through Mary. Something unparalleled in human history. She recognized that. And through Mary, we can rejoice and and rejoice in God's plan. Rejoice in his plan. That's the first point that I want you to write down. If we can understand Mary, we can look at her as an example. We can see through her rejoicing, celebrating what God has done. 
We need to celebrate what God has done and his plans. That God's plan's perfect. It was perfect then and it's perfect now. It may not seem the perfect way that you think perfect should be, but it's perfect according to his plan. And think about that. She's rejoicing knowing all of the social ramifications that could happen to her. This isn't like it is in many, many people in the United States now where people are having babies out of wedlock left and right. No. In the ancient world, especially then, and this still goes on in different countries today, if a girl were to conceive a child out of wedlock, if she were to have sex out of wedlock, she'd be taken outside and stoned. This is still practiced in some countries. All right? She would have been taken out and stoned. And Joseph would have had full legal right to do that. And no one would have bat an eye. Yet God does this in a miraculous way. He's coming into the culture in a way that we wouldn't expect. It's not the nice, tidy, I mean, tidy little lines and where it should go. God comes right to the edge, brings it right to the fringe. And he's saying that I'm going to have you conceive a child, even though you're betrothed. You're not quite married yet. It's, betrothment is greater than an engagement but it's not full consummated marriage yet. And so they're legally married, there's a legally kind of but they're not completely fully married yet. So she is rejoicing though that what God has done, knowing that there could be a lot that happens. How do I tell Joseph that I'm pregnant and it's God's child? Can you imagine having that conversation? That would have been an interesting conversation and Joseph's not a dummy. Joseph's like, that's just a little bit much. And, and he was going to divorce her quietly, not kill her, but divorce her quietly. But that's when an angel appears to him and confirms her story. So she, though, is rejoicing. She's, she is responding to God in a pretty miraculous way. We see that in verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. From now, from behold, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. All generations. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is, those for, is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Now, it's interesting there. She's noticing that it's, it's going to extend on to generation to generation till the end of time. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, she's rejoicing in this plan and that it concerns all of us. This plan is for you. This plan is for all mankind. This plan is for every single person who has ever lived from whatever country you come from, whatever your background is. This plan concerns all of us. This, you want to know what God's plan is for your life? Well, this is the first part of it, is that he wants you to believe in his son. And he's providing redemption for you. Because he loves you so much and so intensely that he's willing to give himself for you. This plan concerns all of us, not just for the super spiritual, not those who are great moral people. It's for every single person without exception. Doesn't matter what your title is, what your background is. You know, I told you uh, last week I got to engage with T.V. Thomas, uh, who is a, an evangelist, and he's known many different people in his life. And it was interesting talking to him. Uh, his father was the deputy prime minister of uh, uh, deputy prime minister of Malaysia. 
So he was raised with all these different dignitaries. He uh, was babysat with Prince Charles. He knows the Queen of England. He knows King Selassie, uh, people that were different African nations that he has interacted with, kings and queens, and he's interacted uh, with pr- our previous presidents, of uh, President Johnson as well as President Nixon. These are people that he has known. He, can still, ha- he still has access to the Queen of England. Uh, that he, he could, I mean, could have access to them. And he's traveled all over the world, and I've talked to him, and I, I said, how do you meet all these people? And he said, well, you don't meet titles, you meet people. He goes, you're not meeting a rhino or a tiger. You're meeting a person. And he he realized that every single person is subject to the same human condition. That we all struggle with the same things. We all want to have good health. We all want to have someone to love and have a family. We all want to engage and be connected. These are all things part of the human condition. It doesn't matter what your title is. That it's for all of us. That God has that for you. God wants that for you. So this plan, though, he, he, he's saying that it's for every single person who has ever lived. It concerns every one of us. So it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've been through that God loves and cares for you. Now, this plan was multifaceted. It was earth-shaking, universe-rattling. It was a plan that was not just for all of us, but it, it's, it, it changes the status quo. This is the kingdom of God breaking in. It changes how things are. I mentioned last week that prayer is rebellion against the world status quo. That's what prayer is. And, and what it is is God is changing how things were done. The kingdom of God is breaking in, into the world, and it's changing everything. This baby changes everything. I mean, this baby is the most controversial baby ever born. You know, I don't know if we ever get that, if we understand how the ramifications of this child and what he meant. I mean, he was a threat to every government. And we had leaders that are scrambling to try to eliminate him. Because he's changing everything. He's changing the status quo on how things are operating and what is valuable. And that, that's what Mary notices. Look at the text where she starts saying here in verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's saying, I'm going to take the humble and the poor and I'm going to reach out to them and I'm going to exalt them. I'm changing what the world values. The world values power and leaders. I'm going to come as a servant. I'm going to come to give my life. I'm not going to force it. I'm going to love people. It's an upside-down kingdom, and it's invading our world. And pretty remarkable things. It's changing the status quo, and it challenges our way of living. It challenges our way of living. Now, you see that. That's why, again, we had governments. King Herod, when he heard as the wise men showed up and said, where is the king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. It freaked him out. It said that he was alarmed as all of Jerusalem with him. They're scrambling. And he sends his, his, his soldiers, go find out where that child is and eliminate. Why? Because it was a threat to his kingdom. He recognized it. Because this child challenges us. He calls sin what it is. Jesus even said, he goes, the world hates me because I testify that their deeds are evil. You know, people don't like to be called out when they're doing something wrong. Have you ever liked to be called out when you're doing something wrong? I mean, what does that make you feel like? And Jesus testifies about that. And people will do anything to eliminate that. I mean, even now, we just saw it in Naperville just this past week. There were students praying at a football game. And the freedom from religion found out. And they've threatened lawsuits. 
Because they don't want people to pray. Because people are, they don't want to hear that. They don't want to see that. They don't want to be a part of it. They want to get, they want to eliminate Christmas. They want to get rid of all of these different things. Because it is a reminder to their conscience that their deeds are evil. And we see that within our world. But God's truth will break through. The darkness can't stop the light. It can't. It can legislate it, but can't stop it. I mean, we've seen governments try to stop it before. They try to stop Christianity. They try to stop people from pro- propagating the faith. I, I, they're trying to stop people from testifying to the greatness of who Jesus is. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, uh, yesterday, one of my best friends who came up from Champaign, longtime friend, and he was telling me about his church. They have this missionary who is in a country where it is forbidden to share the gospel. And the secret police go in there eliminating, removing uh, churches and expelling missionaries. And this guy is undercover. And he, but it's funny, he's leading a Bible study with the head of the secret police. <laughs> and, he, and the guy's like, and the, the secret police, he said the guy was just stopping and he's doing through this Bible study and he's puffing on his cigarette. And he goes, you know, we expel all these missionaries and Christians that are in our, in our country. Where are we at in the study again? <laughs> And the guy was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so even the secret police, the, 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 you know, the chief of the secret police is in a Bible study. He's expelling people, but he's not realizing. He's trying to learn and understand. See, that's what Jesus was saying. He says, the world cannot hate you. In other words, cannot hate you for your own sake. But it hates me because I testify about it that it works our evil. And he says later that if the world hates you, hates me, it will hate you too. Because it is, when we testify about who Jesus is, when we proclaim it, we're saying that people are sinners. This is why we always have to use the term sin. It's not what you just struggle with. It's sin. Sin. I, I, I sat in a grad school class one time, and, and, the, and a professor raised his, he said, he talked to the class, and he said, is it wrong, um, should we continue to use the word sin? And people said, no. And I said, you guys are nuts. You'll lose the understanding of the gospel. And today people are trying to legislate and all these sins are good and they're okay and they're acceptable and it's all right. No! God's word will stand firm that heaven and earth may pass away but his word will never pass away. Never pass away. So it testifies to us and it challenges our way of living because it says that our deeds are evil and we must make a change and submit and and respond to him. That he's coming to judge wickedness and reward righteousness. This king changed the status quo. And the citizens of that kingdom, is, of his kingdom, is breaking through. So we, we rejoice in his plan, but we also need to recognize his power. Recognize his power. Look at how powerful God is. Mary's song demonstrates that he, is, that he helps the hurting. Let's look at our text. And it says here, in verse 48, she says, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. There's this humble teenage girl from a poor city that people don't even, I mean, a poor town that people don't even want to walk by. And yet she's saying that all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. She continues on, And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent empty away. That he comes to those who are hurting. 
for those people who understand who they truly are in the sight of God, for those who are truly broken, God comes to them. You know, when I was in India, I met a young lady named Anjali. Anjali. I did an interview with her. She sat down, and I said, do you want to do the interview in Hindi? And I had an interpreter there, or in your state language. And she goes, no, English, broken English. And I said, okay, that's wonderful. Her English was great. So, well, tell me your story. And she, started to, she proceeded to tell me a story that I was amazed. She said, I was two and a half years old when I was put on the streets to beg. She goes, I don't know who my parents were. I was an orphan at a young age. And I was put into a Hindu orphanage. And every day they would send me out to beg at two and a half years of age. Some of the children they would maim so that people would be more sympathetic toward them. She goes, but I was spared that. But every day that I would go out and I would beg... She said, as I got to be a little older, instead of going out the street to beg, I went to the school nearby and stood out by the window and listened to the lessons being taught. I I wanted to learn. But her caretakers were, were angry that she wasn't bringing in enough money. So they told her that she had to bring in 4,000 rupees. And if she didn't, then they would kill her. She fled to the Hindu temple where she worshiped and called out to the idol what the idol could not hear and could not help. She said she decided to flee that state. I mean, she's in a, a young teenage girl at this time. She uh, got in a car, she did, I mean, a truck. She didn't know where she was going. She ended up li- um, going into Punjab state, which is where uh, uh, Naresh and Manju are from. And he, in the city of Gudara, let me make sure that's right, Gudara. And she says five days went by, and she was sleeping in front of a church. And she said she was hungry. She was so hungry that somebody opened the gate and they threw out the food for the dogs. It was all spoiled and rotten, but she was so hungry she ate it. She says, I'm eating that. And another woman comes out from the church. And she, says, she looks at her and she goes, Sister, your name is Angeli. And this astonished the young girl. She thought to herself, how does she know my name? I don't know anyone here. I've not told anyone my name. How do you know my name? And then she says, the woman responded, my father says to me, my daughter is outside. Then the woman said, I want to pray for you. Angelie agreed. They went inside, and the woman uh, told Angelie to close her eyes while she prayed, but Angelie was scared, so she kept one eye open. <laughs> she didn't know what it meant to pray. And so the woman prayed, and Angelie said, I saw a light, and I saw God's son, this man in white, with his hands held out. And I heard the voice of this man as the woman spoke. The woman was speaking, but she heard the voice of a man saying, My daughter, come to me. I call you by your name. And Jehangeli responded, Jesus, stop. She'd heard who his name was. She goes, How are you speaking to me? I do not know. There is a woman in front of me, but the voice is the one of a man. The woman then stopped praying and gave gave Angeli a Bible and said, Whatever help you need in your life, this this book will help you. Angelie said, she showed me how one good book to help me, and it transformed her life. She opened up the book, and she prayed, really, if you are God, then please give me food, clothes, and a place to live. And she met another man on the street right after that, who came up to her, and he said, daughter, your name is Angelie. She again was amazed that this man knew her name. Then he pointed to a house and said, Angelie, this house is for you. Angelie responded, I am a beggar. I don't have any clothes. How can I enter into this house? And the man inside 
responded, went and said to her, God said to me, my daughter is outside and you have to let her inside. So he went outside. And she said, when she went inside, she had a vision of a man in white again with his hands open out to her saying, come. She went inside and she saw the book and that was the, she said, what is this? I do not know who this Jesus is, this Jesus Christ. And she said, I went into a corner and I prayed in the room filled with light and there was a cloud And she goes, I couldn't see anything, but I could still hear a voice saying, my daughter. She goes, a mother can't forget the child she has given birth to. I will not forget you. This is what what the, the man says to her. I will not forsake you. See my hands. And she said, who are you and where are you from? I cannot see you. And he said, I am Jesus. She cries out, where are you? I want to see. And he responds, you can't see me. You can feel me. She felt him and gave her life to him. He transformed Took this beggar. I mean, and, and this is a girl that I'm, I'm, I'm sitting right across from. This isn't a story that I heard in a forum. I mean, it, that someone gave to me. This is one. I see her. She said, God said to me, my daughter. God still speaks. And he helps the hurting. Are you hurting? What's your hurt? You know, you know, some people, we talk about Jesus forgiving our sins. It's just true. But we fail often to remember of those sometimes whom our sins have hurt. Those who have been victims. You know, Jesus became a victim too. He was hurt. He understands your pain. Whatever hurt you have, he understands. And he offers to take your hurt and give you his peace. God helps the hurting. He helps the hopeless by being their hope. He loves you so much that he would give his life for you. He not only helps the hurting, but he humbles the proud. Look at verse 51 with me. He has shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. See, he humbles the proud. See, that's why the gospel is a threat to people. Because it transforms people, values, philosophies, and ways of life. That's why Herod was threatened. That's why in the book of Acts chapter 19, the silversmiths of Ephesus started a riot because the gospel threatened their income and their way of life. If the people turned to the gospel away from idols, they wouldn't need their idols anymore. So they recognized it as a threat and they needed to remove it. People want to do that even today. They want to remove the power, they remove the presence of God because it condemns them for their sin. See, God bring down the, brings down the proud and the so-called wise of the world and exalts those who humble themselves before him as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 through 21. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written... He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So no, no one boasts 
in men. God humbles the proud. So you might think you can do it your way and be away from God, but he will humble you. Death humbles us all. But he also honors the humble. He honors the humble. Look in verse 52. We learn that he has exalted those of humble estate. God takes those who are lowly and exalts them. He transforms those who, are, who humble themselves before him. It's not those who stand tall who get the Christmas presents from under the tree, but those who bow, those who kneel. See, in Luke 18, we get a picture of this. One of the greatest stories. In Luke 18, said 10 through 14, it says this. Jesus gives us a story about how we should approach God. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. God exalts and honors the humble. It's not the self-righteous God calls to himself. Time and time again in Scripture, we see that the self-righteous are those who receive the greatest condemnation. See, the gospel is for those who come broken and humbly fully aware of their wrongs and transgressions and come to God desperately. Mary came to Jesus breaking the alabaster jar, wiping it with her hair. The prodigal son came came home homeless, penniless, hungry, and stinking of pig manure. God takes the humble. And remember, in the story of the prodigal son, it is the self-righteous son who never left who ends the story outside the party. And we wonder if he went to join his brother in celebration or not. Remember the words of James chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Mary rejoiced in God's plan. She recognized God's power, and she gives us an example of how we should respond in praise. How should we should respond in praise. See, after God revealed everything to her, she responded, responded in wonder, awe, and praise Now, this praise comes entirely as a result of grace. Grace. Grace is the hallmark of our faith. She recognized that she was not deserving of such an honor. God chose her for such a task, but yet she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. It's not because of what I've done. It's for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. See, everything we have is because of God's grace to us. It's his unmerited favor. We cannot earn God's approval. You can't earn it. You can never be good enough. We have it entirely in and through Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done. The favor due to him comes to us by the cross and resurrection by us placing our faith in him. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's your faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. See, God does not offer a religion to you. God offers a life-changing relationship that he wants to have with you. 
the big, great, amazing God of the universe who is transcendent beyond our ability, is so holy that he dwells in unapproachable light. And in his light, we actually see light. He invites us, who are dirty, sinful creatures, who are God's enemies. He invites us to believe in his son and to have fellowship, intimate fellowship with him. It's entirely of grace. Now, he gives us grace, and he gives us a guaranteed promise. Guaranteed promise. Now, it's interesting. Starting in verse 51, if you go through line by line, and you see it all the way through verse 55, the verbs that are there are what is known as the aorist tense, which simply means undefined. But there is a debate. There's different types of aorist tenses. One wants to, some scholars have hypothesized, not as many, that they are what is known as historical aorist tenses, which means that an undefined event happened in the past. But most scholars believe that these are prophetic aorists, which means that it's about something yet to come in the future, but it is so certain that, it's, that they are expressed has already taken place. Meaning that God is saying, and she is through Mary is saying, I am so sure of this, it's already happened in the mind of God. It's been declared. It's already taken place. It's a prophetic aorist. He's saying, I'm giving you a guaranteed promise. So when God gives a guarantee, no one can take that guarantee back. See, there are a lot of things and products that people try to guarantee. But the reality is, a guarantee can only guarantee so much. A company can't guarantee that the knives you bought will last forever or that the product will satisfy your every need. But God, his guarantee is one that is certain and fixed, that cannot be altered or changed. It can't be hacked, regulated, redefined, or ignored. His promises are more fixed than the mountains or the sun. His promises cannot and will not fail. He doesn't know how to fail. See, God doesn't give you a money-back guarantee or a risk-free guarantee, but he does offer a free trial to taste and see that he is good. But he does guarantee 100% satisfaction. He offers to make it last forever, and he offers himself in the process. See, that's how much God was committed to it, so much that he gave himself to make this promise happen. You know, there's a story. It's kind of a comical one of a chicken and a pig who were walking down the street one day. They came to a grocery store, and the grocer had a sign on the window that said, Bacon and Eggs Wanted. The grocer said, Can you help me out? I need some bacon and eggs. The chicken said, Well, let's go help him out. He needs some bacon, pig, and you can give him the bacon, and I can give him the eggs. The pig said, You're crazy. All you have to give is a contribution. I have to give up the whole thing. See, when we give to God, we don't just give a contribution. We give ourselves. But see that God gave himself. He didn't just give a part. He gave himself for us. See, what does this mean for us? It means that through Mary, God is prophetically telling us that we have a glorious future. We have a glorious future. See, I've spoken to several people who are scared of what's going on in the world. Some of you are in this room. You're scared of what's happening around us. And I, people are scared all over. 
what's going on, what's going uh, to happen to our country, to our government, to our way of life. But not just scared of what's going on in, in terrorism, but they're looking at the economy, the rise of sexual immorality, the mass infiltration of media into our lives, and a fear of our addiction to our comforts and worldly desires. But do you know, God has never guaranteed that everything will go well in this world. In fact, he's guaranteed quite the opposite, that he will be with us. I mean, not that we will just go through trial, but he's promised that he will be with us, and that if we trust in him, we will have a peaceful life with God in this world. We will have a glorious future with him when we get to our true home. See, these promises that Mary says right here, she goes, we're spoken to Abraham and to his offspring, which means us. According to Romans chapter 4, verse 8, it's not talking about physical descents, descendants, but it's talking of spiritual ones, those who would believe in the one who was to come, that is Jesus. See, we are God's and he is ours, and nothing can take that away. It doesn't matter where you were born, who your parents are. It doesn't matter what crimes you have committed, doesn't matter how you have lived because you know he's taken the penalty for your sins upon himself and he has given us his life he will forgive you he will transform you when you trust in him the future looks bleak here on earth but the light is dawning with the hope and the promises of God and it's interesting the pages of the New Testament rustle with a rumor that there's more to come that is much greater and more grander than anything on this earth could ever offer. But it's only for those who truly fear him. What it means by that is the ones who fear him by trusting in him and believing in the one that he has sent, that is his son, Jesus Christ. Do you believe? Have you placed your faith and trust in him, that he offers it to you? You can't get there on your own righteousness, but the scripture is very clear. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will become a new creature. You will have peace with God and peace with man. But you must turn away from your sin and embrace him. And then he will save you. And he will set you free from your sin. He can deliver and he can heal. And he can still speak, as we saw in that example of Angeli. And he speaks today through the power of his word as his spirit is awakening our hearts. What's he saying to you right now? What is God calling and saying to you? Don't turn a deaf ear. Don't ignore his call. Receive it. Surrender and embrace all that he has for you. Let's pray. Holy Father, we stand amazed at your power. We know that it's breaking into our lives. It's breaking into our church and into our community. Not because of who we are, but because of who you are. And that you long to answer the request of your people and give more of yourself and to show your power working on our behalf. And Lord, I pray today that your kingdom might break into someone's heart. That person might be holding on to their shame. They might be holding on to their guilt. They might be just holding on because they love their sin. And Lord, I pray that 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 darkness flees as the light of your presence speaks into their life. That you might set them free, show that you are the God of truth. That you are the God who sets the captives free. You are the God who heals and transforms. You are the God who offers himself 
Lord, we know it's true. Your word tells us that. that You can make us clean and declare us innocent in your sight. So, Lord, please, touch hearts and minds today. For those that have not yet trusted in you, I pray that they might do so. And, Lord, for those who have strayed in the thoughts of their heart and they have turned after the things of this world, I pray that you grant them the repentance that leads to life and that you might restore that fellowship with them that they might truly testify to your greatness and teach other sinners your ways. So, Lord, please, touch us as a body and use us for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name we pray.